This episode is brought to you by the Rider Store. Support your club by grabbing your official Rider gear from the Rider Store. The Mosaic Stadium Store is now open. You can also shop online at theridersstore.ca. Welcome to the Rouge Report. I'm Cody Fajardo. And I'm Isaac Harker. Follow along as we tackle CFL topics one point at a time. Last time, me and you were talking about the recruiting process and kind of the football journey and how it starts from high school. And I know yours was a little bit different than mine. You want to give the audience a little taste of how that went? Yeah, honestly, it was uh, one of the most frustrating times, I think, when you start playing sports or football um, is the recruiting process because a lot of these recruiters are like car salesmen. So they tell you everything you want to hear. And then they don't offer you and you're like, well, you just told me I'm a great quarterback and this and this and this about me. And now you don't have an offer in front of you. So um, for me, I did not get my first Division One scholarship until my senior year state championship game. Uh, San Jose State called me and said that they were going to give me an offer. I was so ecstatic. Uh Obviously, my whole life and dreams for me personally, I didn't have the finances. My family didn't have the finances to go to college unless it was for a, a full ride scholarship. So I've been very blessed in the, in the way to get my business degree through having a scholarship. But just looking back on it and how tough it was after I got my first offer, uh, I remember I took an official visit. There was a kid by the name of Tal- Taylor Kelly who um, was committed to Nevada and he uh, decided to decommit and uh, go into Arizona state, uh, commit to Arizona state. And that opened up the door for me. Nevada flies down. I'll never forget this. Coach all is the guy who invented the pistol. He is an older guy. Shows up formation just for people who, yeah. So the pistol formation is uh, everyone would run gun where the running back was to the side of them. And what, coach alt did was he put the running back behind him so now you hear it a lot uh especially with the rpo stuff a lot of guys will run the pistol formation where the running back goes directly behind the quarterback and the reasoning behind that was so the linebackers couldn't get a take on the first step of the running back and usually if a running back's on the side of the quarterback say he's on the left side he can only run to the right so defenses know that now putting him behind him you can go right you can go left and that's a little bit of a tangent but uh i think it's great for our listeners to know just what the pistol offense is because you see it in the cfl all the time but mm-hmm. uh he flew down it was pouring down rain um decided to offer me on the spot which was new to me and uh i took a visit out here i fell in love with uh, reno nevada just all the outdoor stuff that it had to offer and i remember when i called coach alt to commit he told me i haven't drank in a long time but i'm gonna take a shot of tequila tonight to celebrate you committing to us and uh and that's all i wanted to hear Uh, my final three actually came down to the university of nevada university of nebraska and university of arizona so uh, my recruiting process picked up a lot of steam after i got that first offer and for a lot of the young guys listening um all it takes is one and then the competition comes out so for me you know i i signed with nevada was able to learn a year under Colin Kaepernick and just see how he played the game. And he did at such a high level. Our team ranks seventh in the country, my redshirt freshman year. And 
Kaepernick graduates, and now all of a sudden it's an open competition, and I got to fill these shoes of the seventh best team in the country. And that was truly uh, a tough, tough time for me as a player. But uh, yeah, the recruiting process started out slow, but uh, thankfully I ended up in the place where I met my wife and actually just moved back here. And so this is this is home now. What? So did you know all about? University of Nebraska or University of Nevada and and Reno before this, or did you fall in love with it as you went on your first visit? Yeah, great. I mean, that's a great question because the first time I watched Nevada, I didn't even know they were D one, honestly, because you you rarely hear you hear of UNLV when you hear of Nevada schools. Um, San Jose State said, "Hey, uh, when I was in high school, they said, hey, we're on ESPN tonight. We're playing Nevada.'" And I got home from practice. I put the game on. The score was like 77 to six and Kaepernick was running for a, like an 80 yard touchdown. And I remember watching it and I was like, I don't think I want to play for that San Jose state team. I would like to play for that Nevada team. And it didn't really hit me. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, couple weeks later Nevada reaches out because they're in the same conference as San Jose and that that quarterback switch I talked about and so I had the opportunity to go here and yeah man that was the first time I heard of Nevada and I didn't even know that they were D1 unfortunately and now I I love it and I know you're talking about filling shoes and stuff and a lot of times quarterbacks like I feel like fans love a good quarterback battle but I wanted to talk to you more like just like quarterback to quarterback and give people the thought process behind like a quarterback battle and like some misconceptions on it or what, what is true about how the media portrays it. Yeah. And and I think because it's such a huge position that everybody's eyes are focused on quarterbacks. And if there's a quarterback battle, um, people are interested because that's the number one focal point of every team. And so for me going into the battle, I was going against a six year senior who had a gray shirt and a red shirt. And um, I remember we were opening up with Oregon, so first week in Autzen Stadium, and I didn't get the starting job, nor did I want the starting job as a redshirt freshman. I was so scared. Um, we ended up getting beat pretty bad. Uh, this is a great story. My coach puts me in. The game's out of hand. We're down by like 50 points or whatever. He puts me in, and I uh, am trying to do everything I can. Let me just – this is your very first play of – this is my very first action in college football. We ran a couple handoffs. My very first pass in college football. It was double slant to the uh, boundary. And Boseco Lacumbo, so Bo Lacumbo, who's in the CFL now, I threw it square to his chest. He played for Oregon at the time. And he ran it back for a pick six, my first ever collegiate pass. I'm chasing him down. As I'm chasing him down, I get just rocked. I get laid out. I'm just laying on the ground. And I remember staring into the turf and going, I will never play in college. This this is too hard. A couple, <laughs> couple of plays later, I uh, we had a zone read. I pulled it, and I dove for the end zone, scored my first touchdown, got a little bit more confidence. And so to this day, it's pretty cool to say that I've scored my first collegiate touchdown in Autzen Stadium. Yeah, that's really cool. I, we actually – kind of have similar stories there my very first action was redshirt freshman year at indiana state my first play uh i pulled the ball and ran it for a touchdown because i had like a little wildcat package and i know a lot of people don't think of me as a mobile guy but back then <laughs> that's how i like cut my teeth and that's how i got on the field was doing running stuff yeah i mean 
definitely different ends of the spectrum, but still similar. I mean, just take me through, because I remember coming out and I was just so nervous and I was this freshman, wide-eyed, just like I'm playing college football and I'm looking over and these guys look huge. They're all big, fast, strong. So just take me through your mindset. Like what were you thinking when you were jogging out on the field and you're like, well, I'm playing Division One football? Yeah, and I've, I never really – have even my whole football career for games I don't really get that nervous but for practice I get pretty on edge and and nervous for practices but games I feel like are just a lot easier than practice for me personally I remember you talking about that during the season and I'm completely the opposite way like I um I love like practice is fine because I know I'm trying to fine-tune something so if I miss a throw or you throw an interception I'm like ah whatever it'll roll off but when I get in the game sometimes I put so much pressure on myself I feel like it kind of hinders my performance because I want to do so great. And so usually it takes a few drives um, to get me going. And, and this is probably a good a good question to answer. What gets you settled into the game? Because for a lot of guys, it's getting hit first. Um, for me personally, I have to complete a ball over 10 yards. Like if I just throw a bubble out there or uh, you know a quick slide route where it's a two-yard pass, that doesn't get me into the game. I got to drop back, feel the rush, and throw a 10-plus yard ball. And then I feel, okay, I'm in the game. What What is it for you? Yeah, and I, I don't think the like the yardage cap <laughs> for you applies to me, but just seeing the ball get caught and being like, yeah, we made some yards. Or even like if you hand it off and we get a first down, I'll feel so like in, immersed in the drive that I'll forget any nerves or anything like that. So just like having a play, go for a first down or completing a ball, anything for me just to get like the offense moving forward feels like I'm into the game. So you just like movement and, and that's, and that's a big thing too. But like for me early in my career, it was all about just get a completion early, get a completion early. And then I felt like I would get to second and long and have to, th- you know, s- and complete this ball 10 yards down the field. And I didn't feel the flow of the game. I'm like, well, I've thrown a bubble pass and that's about it. So being able to see the ball released and go 10 plus yards, I don't know, something in my mind clicks like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm in this game. And it's it's strange for me that you don't feel as like nervous for practices just because like I, I get that you were like prolific in college and everything, but going up through the CFL, like you were you were a backup for a long time. I feel like practice is the only time you besides preseason games get to like show what you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean what's incredibly hard about the CFL and, and most people probably don't even know this is if you're a backup early CFL days, you wouldn't even get a rep. I, I never got a live rep in practice um, outside of training camp, obviously, and not one time in the season in the previous five years that I was in the league. And I would just – so what we would do is all the quarterbacks would stand behind the starting quarterback who was in. We'd get the play call, and we'd have to drop back and show with our arm where we were throwing the ball. And so we'd watch film, and the coach would call out quarterbacks in the back if you threw it to the wrong area or you didn't throw it to the same spot the starter did. They, they would ask you, why are you throwing here, Cody? Or you just threw a pick here, kind of something like that. And, and that helped me with the mental aspect. But it's so different to watch from behind and like your depth perception of seeing the play and seeing routes developed is so different because some things look covered to me 10 yards, 15 yards behind the quarterback. But then when I get in the pocket, I see why the starter threw it there. And there was times when I was like uh, watching Ricky Ray and I'm like, there's no way I'll ever throw that football. And then I get into the game last year and I start throwing it and I'm like, 
oh, okay, I see why Ricky was throwing those footballs because it's just a completely different view from the pocket. And so I don't know. We did a little bit of that last year, but you you got reps in practice, which has been tremendous, I know, for your growth. But, yeah, five years straight of no practice where you just have to mimic throwing the ball is was pretty tough. Yeah, and, like, it's funny because you talk about, like, pointing to a different direction than where the starter goes and how, how different some quarterbacks are because – I feel like if you know a guy well enough, like in the back, sometimes I'm like, watch, watch, he's going to throw the bow here. He's going to throw the bow here. And then you take three steps and throw the bow. I'm like, told you. And then I feel like you're back there and you're like, watch free access into the boundary. Isaac's going to take this Omaha every time. Just rock and throw the Omaha. (laughs) It's kind of funny how you can like get a beat on quarterbacks like that. And that, and that's the difference. And that was one of my arguments with that system is like me as a quarterback, I don't throw certain routes very well as opposed to other routes. So if there's something that I feel comfortable with, I'm going to throw that. And maybe the starter or whoever is in before me likes a different route. And so there's just preference in each quarterback, which I think would bring up a great point. If you could have one route to throw, what's your favorite route to, uh, to throw in a game or practice? doesn't matter. If it's if it's man-to-man, it's an inside fade every time. Yeah, so you like the inside fade, let them go and get it. Yeah, and like, because if they beat them clean, then it's just a nice like layer ball, and you put it in their bread basket. But if they're if they're getting hemmed up pretty good, and it's a big dude like Jay will, you can just throw it high and hard, and he'll jump. And the guy has his back turned. There's no way he can make a play on it. So his strong hands will just go up and snatch it. Like he's gonna get tackled, but you can still get a 20 yard gain out of it. Yeah, and and when you see man coverage and you have an inside fade, you're licking your chops, and for I sure. mean, we all are. But you're exactly right. It's hard for a DB to cover it because he thinks he's over the top and he's got great coverage, and then you back shoulder him, or he thinks he's you know uh, gonna stop the route and he just runs right by him. For me, it's got to be the glance route. Shaq Evans in the boundary takes seven steps, skinny post, and I put the ball on a line and he catches it on the run, like we made some hay with that route. Obviously, we made a lot of hay with me just throwing the ball up, but that takes no talent on my side, all the talent on Shaq's side. I just throw it as far as I can and say, go make a play. At least in the glance route, I have a timing issue. I got to move the free safety with my eyes. So there's just nothing better than a great glance route that just comes out of your hand crispy clean. No offense to you and me, but this episode that we filmed today is probably my favorite one we've done thus far, even though we've only had two. two. <laughs> 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 but I mean, Dan Clark, just a, what a guy. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you this story. When I first got to Saskatoon for training camp, I remember walking in, we were going through our concussion protocol and all of our uh, medical stuff. And I remember meeting Dan Clark and he had the hugest smile on his face and he was so happy go lucky. And I remember, I, I didn't know who anybody was. So I remember pulling um, Zach Caleros aside and saying, Hey Zach, who's that guy? Cause I was just so uh, like, in love with how he just was his personality, how open he was, just treated everybody with respect. And and he's like, Oh, that's Dan Clark. And I was like, Oh, Dan Clark, the guy who just got in the huge accident. He's like, yeah. And you would have never known that Dan just had a near death experience because he just seemed like the same person. Um, he didn't seem hurt at all. And I know that it was killing him. And looking back on training camp, I didn't notice it uh, then, but thinking back now, he worked his tail off to get ready to play football because he loves football and he loves being out there with us and the guys. And I remember him, you know, strapping a weight to himself in the uh, pool to make sure that his hip was okay and just doing everything he can to get back as quickly as he can. And a lot of the doctors were saying like, 
I don't know how you came back so fast, but that just is a testament to his toughness and who he is as a person. And, and that stuck, that story stuck with me the entire season. And I'm like, that's someone I want to lay it down for. I want to play as hard as I can for a guy like Dan Clark. It's it's fun. I feel like if you ask different people about him, you get a different response because I know I have, I had a different experience like training camp with him just because like he doesn't know who I am. And like, I'm like, who's that? You get, you say it's Dan Clark. So I start saying hi, cause he's so friendly and everything. And it's just like, cause sometimes you get that, but then sometimes you get like just the laser focus. Cause I like in being in the back on a lot of plays in training camp, I saw him in the back, like he's pointing out mics and going through stuff. And I remember there being like a different feel to him, uh, to Shaq and to Manny because they were all working so hard, but they weren't allowed on the field yet. And I remember people telling me Manny's like injury and how he came back so fast. And it's just like, there was kind of a different like aura of like veteran leadership to those three guys, even though they couldn't be on the field. And I do remember that from training camp. Yeah. And I think that, that for our team, it was good to see our depth, but also having talented veterans like that sideline who can't be out there and help young guys is tough because I know a lot of my improvements in my mental part of the game is just being there with a guy and just picking his brain during practice. Like I would always ask Ricky, why'd you throw the ball there? I I mean, almost too much. Uh, Why'd your feet do this? Why'd you do that? He probably thought I was crazy, but honestly it helped me to where I'm at today. It was the same thing with Lule, Travis Lule. I was like, why were you doing this? But guys who have played in the league that long and have that veteran presence, um, you got to have them out there in training camp because the young guys just soak up all that knowledge. And to have guys like you mentioned, Manny, Shaq, and Dan Clark on the sideline, I think it hurt the development of our team in the training camp. And that's why it took us a couple weeks to kind of figure out what kind of team we are and then get rolling. And there's one one more thing before we get to the interview. I, I vividly remember him coming up to me and asking me like some questions about like how the protection goes and everything. And I'm like telling him like how I'm viewing it. And then he's telling me how he's viewing it and like working together like that. But like having your voice heard as a rookie for a guy who like everybody looks up to because he's played so well, like CFL All-Star, obviously. But it's just like having him listen to you, you're like, this guy is just a sponge for information. I think that shows in the in the meeting rooms, too. And he's got swagger. His tinted visor, I don't think I've ever seen a center wear a tinted visor and he's got the (laughs) arm sleeve and he's got the tats. And I'm just like, this guy could line up and run some routes because he looks (laughs) swaggy. And so I can't wait for the listeners to hear Dan and we get into in-depth conversations with him and just being a hometown hero. That's who Dan is and and all the work he's done there. And, And it was a great interview that I am totally looking forward to our fans hearing. Yeah. So without further ado, here's our interview. Yeah, well, we're here on the Roots Report, a writer's podcast. Cody and Isaac here interviewing our first interviewee, 2019 CFL All-Star, hometown hero, Dan Clark. What's up, Dan? How we doing? What's up, boys? It's uh, it's great to see your smiling faces. And uh, finally, I wish you guys were under center right now and we we're doing a little bit of goal line and uh, camp here, but it uh, doesn't look like we're doing that. I just get to see your faces across uh, a webcam. I I miss your positivity. Waking up and getting a good morning from a Dan Clark. There's nothing better than that. Honestly, we got to the facility around the same time. And I just remember, I'm like, he is always in such a great mood. Then we get on the field and you just wreck people. And I'm like, this is the only guy I've ever seen flip a switch from the nicest human ever to a guy who just wants to destroy the man across from him. Where does that come from? 
uh, it came for me like a young age. My dad always taught me that, you know, as soon as I step on that field, I'm the baddest human alive. And it may not show every play, but uh, I try to come with that intensity every single time that, you know, as soon as it's game time in practice, it's a total different time. You know, it's time you can clown around a little bit, but still get your work done. So I always hold that mental edge kind of when I got in the field. Dang. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm actually wondering a little bit. I'm, I want to get I want to get more into the practice side of things because I know in the past you've said you're like your biggest critic. Absolutely. Can, can you can you talk about like like the good parts about that and then like the cons of being hypercritical of yourself on film? Uh, the good parts about it for myself, I there's always there's never a ceiling to where I want to reach. Um, when I think something positive happens, I always think I can do better with it. Um, I always can push myself to that next limit. Uh, when I think I've leveled up, there's always an opportunity to kind of keep going, um, especially in practice. Uh, if I miss something or our defense runs uh, a certain blitz or they have a certain cer- certain package against what we are running, uh, and it allows me to kind of get to that next stage as a center, um, be able to see things happen before they actually happen with one movement of another. Um, and you know what, especially with our defense, it allows me to tell them things that I see, you know, it allows them to maybe hide it a little bit better. So other people across the league can't figure it out. Um, and then when you get into the negative side of it, um, there's not a time after a game that I go home and I just don't lay in bed and look up at the ceiling and just replay every play. Mm. What could have I done better to help my team? Um, and, you know, unfortunately that kind of, leads to dwelling of it and you dwell on the negative of what happened and you know maybe not have been being able to you know give it that uh hundred percent to be able to figure certain things out and you know unfortunately one of you guys may get happen to have a sack and something you know negative happens and you always put that on your plate so that's where that hyper uh, that big word you used uh allowed me <laughs> allowed me to figure out uh that you know you gotta have a balance and that's where like that fun and the energetic side of me kind of comes out and allows me to counterbalance it uh am i a perfect teammate to be around all the time when i'm in the negative absolutely not uh but i try to cover up as best as i can you you definitely touched on it a little bit and we talked about it on the first episode how hard is it as a center to go out against our defense? Say we're playing BC, right? And you are only looking at Saskatchewan's defense. And I know we talk about it a lot. We talk about we're preparing for blitzes uh, that BC shows. And then our defense brings these crazy, wild, exotic blitzes. And you're like, we are not seeing this. And so just being able to stay in the mental focus of, yeah, we're going to have some bad plays in practice. And it's not going to look like that in the game. But you also want some confidence going in the game. Be like, oh, I like that play or I like that protection. And it's going to work out. How do you how does that work out for you as a center? How do you keep your mind like this is going to work in the game? As uh, as practice kind of it's been four or five years now that we've kind of switched that side where we don't get the opportunity to see the looks that we're going to get. And it was, you know, if I would have had that my first beginning of the career, I would have never panned out as a center. Mm. Um, now that we've had that opportunity to get into it, the things that our defense does and our things our defense does well, which is hiding people and making people um, change position. Uh, it doesn't, it kind of makes me think of people are just ducks. So by that's no negative on somebody, but in saying that like a duck's a duck, a player's a player and it doesn't matter on where they are. Um, you know, uh, you just got to count it out. So if we're playing, we're in a formation and it's three to the field, two to the boundary. I need to know that, you know, as long as there's three defenders, where's the safety at? 
Can I play off that? So, you know, seeing those exotic blitzes or those, you know, kind of crazy things that people see, you know, on TSN and stuff like that, it, it helps me because it, um, we're not going against your natural just four two, you know, man coverage. So I'd be able to figure out where everything is right away. Yeah. So with all that movement and stuff like that, it, it helps me get to a game. Are there certain things like, say, you know, like a Winnipeg runs that I would like to see more often? Absolutely. But, you know, mm-hmm. those, are, those are like one or two hits a game that you kind of those are those times you write. I write so much in my notebook that it kind of I see it as my notebook on the field, too. So it kind of it's it's good and it's it's bad when it comes down to those ones that are really exotic that, you know what, our defense doesn't run. Yeah, I mean, for you being nine years in the league, all with the writers, which is really incredible, especially in the CFL and how much guys bounce around. But being nine years in and seeing all these defenses, I mean, there's probably a defense out there. I mean, you've seen probably all of them, right, where, you know, you get in the game and you've had an actual rep against that defense. And that's got to have some confidence going into a game as well. Absolutely. Um, when I first started playing center, um, it was more about uh, remembering what I needed to do and how to do it. And now it just comes second nature. Do am I perfect all the time? Absolutely not. And that's just that's part of pro sports that you're not going to be perfect. So having that opportunity to continue to get better and put myself in the situation of seeing things and being able to react to it, it's definitely helped. So I, I'm yeah, I'm forever grateful for that. I I, I do have a question because you said when. When you're starting to see things coming at you, whether it be blitzes or pressures or blocking schemes, you said you view it as your notebook. And that kind of intrigues me because when I'm studying plays and I'm I'm reading it off in the huddle, I'm seeing it from a top-down perspective like it's drawn on the sheet. Is, is that something that resonates with you? Absolutely. So we know the rush is an R, the tackle's a T. I kind of view it as that in front of me. Um, I see the free safety of his an FS kind of in the way he moves. Um, and, you know, through film study, you become familiar with how people move. So through the time of taking notes on each kind of player or each kind of defensive um, player that they have, it allows me to kind of just focus on what is happening around me and, you know, kind of reacting to it uh, and viewing it as the notebook. It just allows me to, I don't know about you, but I just always write it. So a four, two that Winnipeg runs, the BC runs or Edmonton, I write it out no matter what. So, mm-hmm. and it, just, it helps me when it becomes game time that it just like ingrained in my brain that this is what we're going to see. So I think that's a great point. And I think that brings up, you know, athletes are, there's two types of athletes and there's the guys who like to rep things. And there's the guys who like to see it on the board or see it on film. Um, For me, I'm a rep guy. Like I can get it in my head, but until I actually go out there and physically do it, it doesn't click in my mind. So where do you see yourself? Cause you talk about your notebook, but then you also talk about seeing it. Where do you think you lean more heavily on repping something out or actually just writing it out and seeing it on film? You look at the way we practice, I would say a lot of it is I'm a notebook kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, a lot of the blitzes that we see or the one of the, a lot of the blitzes that we react to, the only time that we get it is in pre-practice when we're uh, doing like a walkthrough tempo with, um, say, the quarterbacks and uh, like running backs and some of the receivers. So it's not like we're seeing our defense run these full speed and the movement of, say, defensive backs happening. So I got to rely a lot of it on, you know, my notebook in those situations. But also that's what happens when you go A's against A's. It allows you yeah. to figure out what is happening around you and how fast things can, you know, change. So and you guys see it. You guys see the tops of coverages change so much. And you know what? It, it takes time, especially for myself and not really. 
Um, coming from junior football was, you know, probably the best blessing that I had because I couldn't get into understanding what a pro offense was in college or university. So having that change to right away get into professional and having to adapt, um, it took a couple years. I'm not going to lie, especially being on the PR. But once I got that opportunity to start playing, everything started to become smoother and smoother. I have a question kind of off of that because you've been in the league for so long and like you're a veteran, but how has your mindset feel or like how does it feel in general to go from like the hometown rookie, like starry eyed, like living your dream to being a well-respected all-star veteran presence in the locker room? How does that, that change your interactions? It doesn't, you know what? Uh, I think the the quote is you want to treat a janitor like He's the president of your company and it don't matter if a guy comes in off the, you know, off the street for a workout, I'm going to try my best to introduce myself depending on what time situations that we have. So for myself, uh, I was just happy to be there. You know, honestly, in 2009, when the riders brought me on to, you know, just see how I was, um, I was just happy to be there and get that opportunity. Uh, now you fast forward 12 years later. Um, it's one of those ones that it's, it, it's not a challenge to come to work every day because I enjoy it so much. I grew up driving over the Argyle street bridge and seeing Taylor field, which was mosaic stadium as well. And that's a place I wanted to go to work every day. So I found, now, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I found a lot of writer fans have actually named their kids Taylor after Taylor field, which is goes to show how far it goes right in the fan base. But uh, I'm interested in knowing Dan Clark football before kids to Dan Clark football after kids, how much has your mindset changed? Your why is obviously different, right? You play for them as opposed to just yourself. And for me as a newlywed and hopefully having kids here pretty soon, I, I'm always intrigued by that question, how guys mental focus, because I seen Ricky Ray throw for 400 yards and three touchdowns in a game. And as we're walking out of the locker room, he's changing a diaper in the parking lot. And I'm like, you were just the player of the game. You were Ricky Ray. And he's like, dad duties, wait for no one. It doesn't matter who I am. I'm a dad first and foremost. So how has that changed for you? Um, and just give us some insight on life with kids, football life with kids and without. Absolutely. My, my biggest thing is, you know, you, you look at a person, uh, I put a lot of things that happen around me on my shoulders and that, you know what, that's a center, right? There's, you know, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of duties on your shoulders that you, you have to guide, guide five to six guys around you at all times. And I'm okay with that. Uh, but those negative times and losing games were very hard on me. And then you fast forward to now that if we lose a game and I get to see my kids after the game, yes, it still hurts, but I still get to run around with them on the field and have that time. Um, you both know, like I, as much as I, you know, I love playing the sport. I, there's nothing better that I get to see than my daughter Kendall run on the football field after a big win. There's nothing better that I like to be able to do than take my son into that locker room and break it down with the team and say, Hey, these, this is all your uncles. Like, uh, yeah. you know what? Uh, like, I don't have brothers and sisters, but I've got a very, very close in-laws and brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws, but you guys are my brothers. So when they have the opportunity to meet you guys and, you know, be around you guys, that that's so much. And you know what? I, I may have changed a couple diapers on the, the training table, but <laughs> I'm okay with that. And you know what? You're right. Uh, there, there's a lot of that, a lot of it that goes into it. Um, for me, it's scheduling when I do my study time around, you know, what's going on with my kids or mm -hmm. is cash napping is Kendall, you know, what, what does Kendall want to do for the afternoon when I get home from football? So a lot of it is pushed to the side until later in the evening. So, um, you know, 
as much as I can say this, that it's changed a lot, it really hasn't changed. Um, I'm kind of, you know, the same old, try to have as much fun as I can around everybody. And, you know, having kids is a bonus for myself. Yeah, nothing better than winning a game and seeing Cashman in your arms, <laughs> Kendall running around everywhere, and everyone's happy, you know. So yeah, yeah, that's the biggest thing is as long as everybody's happy, and you know, as like I said, as they get the opportunity to spend time around you guys and around you know everybody in our organization, that makes work fun, uh, and that, I believe that's what you know Saskatchewan Rough Rider football is about, and that's a family atmosphere that we want everybody around each other, and you know, just kind of getting to know everybody's family. Such a great point. I think we can't emphasize that enough. And and I talked about it a little bit with media when my family came up. There's such a family feel in the stands. Like obviously I'm not in the stands during games, but just the feedback from my wife and from my dad, they were just blown away at how accepting the fans were. I mean, especially it's my family, but I, I mean, even if they weren't my family, it just you can see that everybody's there for one reason to watch the writers score some touchdowns turnovers and win football games that's that's rider nation man honestly it's like the funnest thing and you know what it's been a long time since i've been able to enjoy like a game from the stand so uh and hopefully it's going to be a long time before i can have that opportunity but seeing that interaction seeing the volunteers how they treat you know my family and especially with kayla with the baby bag and stuff like that um security's been always good to us uh especially getting on and off the field um you know we're very lucky to be able to have that interaction with you know everybody in our organization especially the fans and stuff like that but that the way that mosaic stadium is on game day it's an unbelievable experience and i I, you know what being able to have your family and isaac have have your girlfriend come down those things uh, you know mean a lot to people they get let let them get to know who you are other than just a football player seeing it from the stands is a lot different but you you growing up there i mean at hannah elementary were you were you going to were you going to riders games and yeah, you know what, I've, you know, grown up, you know, always, always been intrigued by the riders. And it's been always, you know, of course, any Saskatchewan boy has always wanted to play for the uh, for the Rough Riders. In that situation, um, for myself, I didn't play football until high school. So I really didn't fall deeply in love into in love with it until I stepped on the football field for the first time. Uh, I was, you know what, from there on, it was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, if you asked my parents, they would have said, Hey, Dan, what do you want to do when you get older? And I said, I want to be a professional football player. So it's one of those ones that I've always had that, you know, drive and ability once I fell in love with the sport. That's incredible. And and what I think I want to know is give me your best writer moment as a fan watching it and your best writer moment as a player. I think that would be interesting to see both spectrums and, and what you find as your favorite writer moments playing and as a fan growing up. I would say like Labor Day Classic, Kerry Joseph. I would don't quote me on yard line, but you know, quarterback draw for a touchdown for them to win the game. That's pretty special in the closing moments. Uh, I can't really get any better than that. Uh, you think 2007 winning the Grey Cup? Uh, those those moments, and especially being you know from Saskatchewan, mean a lot uh, mm-hmm. for myself. Man, there's like honestly, like you know, winning the Grey Cup is something you can you can hang your head on or hat on, especially when you uh, you're born and raised in Saskatchewan and you win it at home. Um, And there's nothing really that takes away from that moment ever Um, for myself. uh, If you want to take the gray cup out of it, I would say scoring my first touchdown. Yeah. I was going to get to that. My, my family, my friends uh, and have it at home is something that was very special for myself. Do you know how far that touchdown reception was? 
No, bro. All I all I worried about was not dropping the ball. Okay, it was eight yard reception versus Hamilton on July twenty first, two thousand thirteen. Do you remember the play call? Oh no, bro. Honestly, <laughs> it was just like it's my time to catch the ball. Yeah, yeah. And that's all I had in my mind. You know what we we may have sold it where I reported and the tackle moved over and, you know, my job was to block down. I didn't block down for a lot of time. And then as soon as I, I cleared and I turned around, Darian just threw me the ball and it was just, it's just perfect, perfect moment. Uh, I think the next per the first person to run over there was Scott McHenry. Uh, I think in the video it shows him just hanging on me. I don't even remember holding on to him. I'm just like holding on to him forever. It seems so. Um, you know what? Those are, those are very special moments. Uh, I think I'd say first time running out of the tunnel, Mm. Uh, in 2009 preseason game and thinking like this is this is it yeah. i love it this is the place that i want to you know i want to work here forever yeah. and having that opportunity um again especially as a local boy is something that you know what it's it's amazing I, I cherish it every day and being a being an offensive lineman especially a center the relationship you have with quarterbacks is so i, I guess interesting for for other people around but i'm i'm in it with you obviously hand in hand but you've been there for so long like you've talked about Darian being an older brother when you were a younger guy in the league like can you tell me how different quarterbacks can be from one guy to another absolutely you know look Darian pushed me in a different way than none, none other quarterback has done it you know Darian was that older brother that you know was hard on me on those times when I needed it those are the times where you know I would get excited about something and he'd be like calm down uh, there'd be times that, you know, I wouldn't be doing too well when, a, you know, a lot of other quarterbacks would have chaired, like, you know, caressed me and made sure that I was okay, especially being a young person uh, and not him. He was hard on me from the moment that I stepped on the field. And, you know, once we built a relationship, it was something that, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, you go to a next guy, especially with dealing, uh, not dealing with, but having rookies around me uh, into like Brett Smith, uh, Tino Sinceri. Those are a little bit different. Those are you kind of have to – put your support behind them and you know what, make sure they understand that they're the men in that position. Uh, and then you fast forward to Zach. Zach was a guy that, you know what, was unbelievable for myself, especially being older in my career, because he really asked a lot of what I wanted to do, especially for protection and what I felt comfortable doing. And I've never had a quarterback ask my opinion. Mm. So then you go from Zach and then you go to Cody and Cody was the exact same way. Cody was a guy that, you know what, always made sure that I, you know, what is going on? What can I help with? And, well, really, as a quarterback, there's nothing you guys can help with besides getting the ball out of your hands faster, obviously. <laughs> but in those situations, it does make – you guys don't understand, but it makes our the O-line's life better when you are asking what we would like to do. Um, and that makes – that means a lot to us. Uh, you look at – having Isaac come in, especially when you got hurt. It was mm -hmm. one of those ones that I don't know where Isaac's mindset is at. Uh, and Isaac, then I know your mindset is that you're going to win this game. And that's something that from the first moment that you stepped on the field that I see, you know, when you walk into a huddle and you can see the nervousness of a quarterback, well, a lot of other positions need to take over and kind of, kind of help out in that situation. But you never had that. You had that beat of, you know, I'm the general and this is how it's going to be. And you had to deal with some maybe haywire snaps, but, you know, you handled them pretty well. So, um, and I, I've played with, you know, a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, Kevin Glenn would be one that I'd have to mention. You know, I, he started my, well, one of my first, you know, touchdown dances with a, with a quarterback every time. And, you know, what? it's carried all the way through. So, 
Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into because we had ourselves a fun little handshake after every touchdown, which I don't know if fans noticed, but if you look back at the film, each week, Dan and I try to come up with a new round-the-world high-five um, after each touchdown. And you you mentioned a little bit that you had it with previous quarterbacks. So kind of, I'm just interested in the lineage of where that came from, how it started, and how it's progressed. Uh, I'd say the first one was like Darian, obviously. Darian always liked to be lifted up in the air. And maybe in his his older times got a little heavier, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was fun. Uh, it, and you know what? I feel like a lot of the time uh, when we'd run down or we'd go celebrate with the guy, say, you know, Shaq scores a touchdown or at the time, Corey Sheets scores a touchdown. And I'm, I'd turn around and there'd be the quarterback walking to the bench. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> first off it's too far to run all the way down there and second off i you know what i feel like y'all need love too so it went from uh me and uh kevin had a little handshake you know it was like a little tap 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 and a little shake of the butt uh and you look at you know zach and i had shaking hands so it's one of those ones that i i liked i love it 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 brings that connection a little bit closer especially with you know our around the world so it's one of those special moments that you kind of create and and for me, honestly, it pushed me too just to get to that. There was times, you know, we went through a first quarter, we didn't score a touchdown, and we had an awesome handshake queued up. And we would talk to each other and we'd be like, let's get to the handshake. And all Absolutely. of that, like, we're scoring a touchdown this drive, let's get to the handshake. And just having something like that, an extra little motivation was incredible because I didn't want to let you down. I know you didn't want to let me down. So we wanted to get in the end zone so we can celebrate together. And that's what's really unique about that. And I love it. Absolutely. And you think about it, you, you spend, was it day two trying to figure out what we're going to score? Like, what's the handshake going to be this week? You know, are we going to bow or, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still waiting to go. It, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's about having fun. It's about doing the certain things that, you know what, football is meant to be fun. When you have those fun moments, it makes the game so much better. If it was serious all the time, it wouldn't be fun. And, you know, being, uh, turning 32 this year it's one of those things that allows me to get away from being the old guy on the team and have fun and just to have that energy and that build with that well, you know what if it's a receiver or if it's anybody like that and have a special handshake it's you know what it's fun yeah that's awesome and i i just wanted to touch on one one other thing which was during when you played for the regina thunder you were playing guard mostly and yep. then how was the transition? Like how foreign is guard to center? Are they pretty applicable? And like, what's the process of having to set the protections and everything? Um, for myself, I played guard all the way up until 2012. And that's when they put the, they said, Hey Dan, we want you to learn how to snap. And I was like, ah, like uh, that's a lot of responsibility um, to play center. And in that moment, um, looking back, uh, Chris Sweet was the O-line coach at the time. And, having that chance to be able to play center is keyed into something that is amazing. Um, you would ask if I knew everything about protections back in 2012. And I said, absolutely not. I was going, you know, behind a good center and Dominic Picard and the way he viewed the game, it started to make sense. And it started to help me uh, having the guys around me, you know, of course, Brendan Labatt's been a key in it. Chris Bess has been, He's so smart that it absolutely helps me in those situations. So uh, you move to 2013 when I became this full-time six-man and having that responsibility of, you know, if Dominic goes down, I have to step in. And it really – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, raised. Let's go to raised. Evolved. There we go. Good job, Cody. Thank you. <laughs> Coming out of left field there. Uh, evolved my, you know, uh, how my career was going to be. Um 
and having that chance to, you know, start, you know, picking apart defenses and starting to figure out what can happen to you and, you know, how fast it can happen. It was one of those ones that my first start was in 2014 against the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, and our, our coach at the time, uh, was, uh, coach Malone. He came down and said, all right, it was between Corey Watman. All right. We're worried about your snaps, which Isaac you've dealt with and, <laughs> and looks at Corey and we're worried about you making protections. One of you guys figure this out and you're going to get a start. So obviously, you know, time goes by it's we're Corey and I are super close friends and then, uh, being able to have it. Uh, and see everything happen on the football field on game day is so much like it just happens like so much slower in my mind. Um, you're granted things happen fast, like a safety rolling over the top and stuff like that. But having that opportunity to kind of like have that game experience and then which led into 2015. Um, but at the moment, like if somebody said to me in my first year of junior and said, hey, Dan, I want you to learn how to snap. I would have been like, Pfft. I play guard. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to learn that. And you think now um, I, w- I know these short little arms ain't ever going to play tackle. So it's, it's one of those best things that I had best cases to go to center. And, and you know, it's led to a lengthy career and I'm very happy for it. And a CFL all-star. Let's go. And a CFL all-star. All right, Dan, are you ready for the two minute drill? <sighs> I don't know. I think like, let's do this. Here's, okay, here's here's the premise of the two-minute drill. Some of them have answers. Some of them are just opinionated. And some of them we're going to have you talk about, like, why you chose that. Okay? Do we, so if my goal is to, can, like, answer as many as I can, do can I keep my whys till after? No. Oh. They have to be at the thing, but you, it could be a one-word why. Okay. So you just got to be smart with how you use your words. Okay? Well, so, yeah, pressure's on. Okay, so now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the first ten questions, and then Isaac will ask the next ten. So that's kind of how the order is gonna go. Okay. 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 And I'm gonna start the timer after I ask the first question. Oh, just like Family Feud. Just like Family Feud. All right. What is the biggest city in Saskatchewan? Regina. How big in kilometers squared is the province of Saskatchewan? Uh, pass. <laughs> You got to give me an answer. Saskatchewan flower. What is it? Uh, tiger lily. Why are manhole covers circular? So people fit down them. Would you rather be a cat or a dog? Dog. Why? Beast. How many times a day do a clock's hands overlap? Answer, answer, answer. <laughs> Any do you like garden gnomes yes why because they're cute how many golf balls can you fit into a standard school bus uh ten hundred thousand do you love to win or hate to lose hate to lose how many chicken wings can you eat in one sitting all of them (laughs) one word to describe tartar sauce awful are you afraid of clowns no why not because I've never been scared of anything. Pick one superpower. What would it be? <laughs> uh, strength. Time travel to any decade. Which one? Oh, let's go like Vikings. Whenever that was. <laughs> Perfect. First thing you do in the morning. Uh, pick up my son so he can lay in bed with me. Weird quirk that you have. 
Uh, as Cody would say, painted toenails. Nice. Favorite superhero? Batman. Why? Uh, because he's the man. Who do you admire most? My dad. Favorite thing about someone in your family? Oh, their laugh. Time. 19 questions. Not bad there. Not bad. We had what? a few questionable what? answers. But yeah, some of them were super hard. How many kilometers? I don't know. All of them? Almost <laughs> 652,000 square kilometers. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Biggest Sorry. city. I probably traveled most of it. But... Is Saskatoon. I was going to say Saskatoon. And the Saskatoon Flower. You were close. Was Western Red Lily. I don't oh, remember. Said Lily. said Lily. That's all I remember. Yeah. Sorry, people. God, that's, I'm so disappointed. How many times a day do a clock's hands overlap? You said 12. It's 22 times. 12 o'clock? Uh, well, okay, fine. Yeah, okay. 105, 211, 316, 422, 527, 633, 738, 844, 949, 1055 times 2. And then the other answer to the manhole covers circular, you said so you don't fall in? Close. No, so you can fit in it. Oh. You're not even. Are you even remembering my answers, or you're just yeah. making them up right now? I, I'm making them up as I go, but yeah, that was, still wasn't that strong. The reason yeah. was so that the manhole cover doesn't fall through because they wanted to originally make them square, and if they're at an angle, they'd fall through. And then also, they're so heavy that because they're circular, they're easy to roll. Okay. And then, hmm. how many golf balls can you fit into a standard school bus? You said ten hundred thousand, I think. There you go. Yep. It is 660,000 without seats, about 500,000 with seats. Nice. So that was pretty fun though. I'm pretty good for our first, you had, you are, you're our guinea pig. So, I mean, but 19 questions, pretty Can good. I know what was the last question? Well, we have a lot of questions queued up, but number 20 was if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Oh man. I've seen, like, I would have bombed out on that one. Let's go. (laughs) Anyone? Yeah. And that's why we put you on the clock, because we want you to bomb out. We want you to just say ridiculous things on there. Man, I would have said astronaut. Just a astronaut? Yeah, an astronaut. Why not? I'm afraid of space, honestly. Bro, I'm tried being 300 plus pounds and being afraid of heights. (laughs) Yeah. You're you're this heavy, so you stay on the ground. Well, Dan Clark, we had a ton of fun with you today. We appreciate you being our guinea pig, our first interviewee on the Rouge Report Rough Rider podcast. 2019 CFL All-Star, 2013 Grey Cup champ, two career touchdown receptions. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to get back to football. I know we are eager and ready to get going. Boys, I can't wait. You know what? It's been eating at me that I haven't been able to see, you know, my friends and my brothers. But you know what? We'll be able to see each other soon. And it's thank you for changing uh, changing my Thursday usual routine. So I appreciate it. Nice seeing you guys. Love you, bud. I'll Love you too. Good. Love you, Isaac. Love you, Cody. So last time in our first episode, something that I think the fans and listeners want to know and 
hear more about is just the more defined details of X's and O's. And I think that would be cool just us talking about defenses or offensive game plans. And last in the first episode, we talked about Sting and how it was an all-out blitz and our mindsets when we go through it. So let's let's talk a little bit more about a zone coverage today. Let's talk about cut. So for those who don't know, cut coverage is when the corners are playing the flats and then you have the halfbacks over the top and then you can have a couple forms of cut where you can have three double cut or you can just have normal cut. But three double cut is your safety and your two halfbacks high and just your normal cut is the safety can come down in the box. He can blitz. He can kind of do whatever he wants freelance. But for us, talk me through, Isaac, you see cut coverage. What's your number one concept that you're going to get to to try and exploit this cut coverage? Yeah, anything that can that can essentially isolate the halfback on an inside guy, whether that's an inbreaker or an outbreaker, but something that holds the – like whether you're running a flat out there to hold the corner or just a short uh, in route or a, a whip route or anything that holds the corner down and then isolating on the halfback running like a deep out. I like throwing deep outs against – against cut is so long as you can ensure that the corner is down on a shorter route yeah uh smash concept wise is always good so for those that don't know smash concept is when your outside receiver runs a hitch or something around five yards and then your inside receiver runs a corner and so you have something that holds that corner down and now you have great leverage on the halfback running an outside uh, move on a on a halfback that's either going to play inside head up it depends on the guy but um for me personally i like cross faces so a cross-face route is you saw a lot last year to Naaman Roosevelt. He was one of the best I know of catching a cross-face and taking a hit, and we're getting a first down. And that's, you know, you're hitting it at about 12 yards, and you're bending it behind the um, wheel linebacker but in front of the halfback. And in cut coverage, it's great because your halfback is high, and so he has all that room to work. And so it's on me to move the wheel linebacker with my eyes, try and widen him, and then throw it in that hole where uh, Naaman can – or your you know your slot receiver can catch it and they're usually going to take a hit and I tell my guys all the time uh you know what you're going to take a hit but it feels a lot better when you catch it as opposed to when it's incomplete so I would definitely say that um what what other advantages do you find going against cut coverage with two guys high yeah so a lot of times when I think of cut I think of a corner still sinking even though the flat is his responsibility so anything that can like get him going with depth, like two verticals from the boundary to hold him, and then you're hitting a flat or an under coming across. If he lifts at all with those two vertical like presences that are coming at him, you can you can gain an advantage because him against a a receiver or a running back with the ball in their hands, it's it's an advantage for the offense because they're not always the strongest tacklers. I know that's not always the case, but getting a guy running uh, in the flat with the corner backing off, even though the flat is his responsibility, is one thing I think of. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there too, that corners play cut coverage differently. A boundary corner might be a little bit more aggressive, but a field corner, because you've got so much space, might sink off. So you might get a flat late. Um, a lot of times in our progression, say we just have a basic curl flat to the field, we might be looking at the flat right away, and then the corner jumps it. Then our eyes go to the curl, and then he tries to fall off on the curl. And you throw a late flat to the field with the CFL field being so big, it can be a huge hit and an easy completion. I would say the other thing that I kind of lick my chops, which isn't exciting for a quarterback, but when I see cut coverage, usually you want to hand the ball off. 
give it to Willie P and just let him go to work because you've got so many guys high and there's not a lot of guys in the box that you're able to get some good running lanes. And I know the big boys up front always love to run the football. So I think we got some fan questions going. You want to start us off with one of those? Sure. From at he Stark, Heather Stark, which plays a better practical joke? Do you have any examples? Ooh, that's tough. Honestly, honestly, on the team, Manny Arsenault is a pretty good practical joker. Not many people joke with quarterbacks. I think they're afraid to joke with us because they're afraid that their targets will go down if someone plays a good practical <laughs> joke. And so, and I usually play that to my advantage. Where if someone brings me, you know, breakfast or something, I'll joke and be like, "Oh well, you know, I remember uh, Naaman bringing me, you know, breakfast." And I'm like, "Well, Naaman's got an extra two targets coming as this coming his way this game." And uh, it's always fun to play that little practical joke with guys and and let them know that we're in control as quarterbacks. But um, jokester wise yeah i would say manny's manny's got to be up there he's always trying to look for a laugh and he plays to his audience that's one thing manny does well if he's got a crowd around him you better be on high alert because he's coming after you another one from boy underscore of underscore dad or hayden what is the most memorable moment in your playing career at any level oh man i've had quite a bit um 2017 gray cup champions was one of the best memories for me Uh, even though I wasn't the starting guy just going into a locker room after all the hard work you've put in and everybody's goal is the same win a great cup and you see the plastic hanging on your locker and just bottles of champagne and beer and just you know the season came to an end you got everything you wanted and you just celebrate we had like the uh, snow goggles the ski goggles and everybody walked in grabbed those put those on right away and it was just so much fun just knowing that all of our hard work paid off Um, I would definitely say that that's up there in my moments what about you yeah I mean mine was just very recently starting my first professional game and it happened to be the one that clinched us the west to have a bye week during the playoffs and it meant a lot just because I know you were you were out, and it meant a lot to a lot of people to get that by just because we've worked so hard and to solidify it in that last game and it being my first start was something really special to me. Nice. Yeah, that's a great memory. And you'll have that. I mean, that's your first start. You'll have that for the rest of your life. Next question comes from at, I think it's Green Rider, GRN Rider, Marlene, who's very active on Twitter, and I love it, and she's got so much passion for the team. Uh, she sent in quite a bit of questions, but I think my favorite one here is if you weren't playing – football what would your occupation be oh man um i would probably be doing some econometrics like (laughs) which econometrics is essentially just statistics but in regards to like financials and the economy and i focus most of my academic career on that getting an undergrad in econ and then a master's in mineral and energy econ yeah, that I mean, that just sounds way too smart for me. <laughs> for me, mine might be a little bit more simpler. I am always fascinated by the stock market. I would love to get in the stock somehow. I don't know if I have the heart to see a huge loss of money, but for me, ideally, I would love to be a color commentator for my college or just college football in general, and just be able to watch football, talk it, and uh, I, I think. You look at Tony Romo, people love listening to him talk about a game because of all the insight that he has. And so when my playing career is over, I think that's something I would want to transition into because I can't be without sports. Uh, That's just how I have been my entire life. So something's got to be sport related, and I think that's the best transition. Well, that wraps up our our fan questions. Um, Please continue to send them in. 
uh, we're trying to answer as many as we can and continue listening along and, and we'll have a lot of fun on this uh, ride together thanks everybody thank you for listening to the rouge report a rough rider podcast thanks for joining us today be sure to grab your official rider gear and get your backyard summer ready with outdoor cooking essentials and backyard decor Shop in-store at Mosaic Stadium location and online at riderstore.ca.